I know I already told you this, John, but man, everybody missed you last week at Trailblazer. I appreciate it. It, it does feel good to be missed at the very least. I mean, like I said, there was there were people that would come up to me uh, and they wouldn't even say hi to me. The first thing they say is, where's John? I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> John's not here, but I am. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, just, uh, it's this is this is technically just like Fight Club where I'm just your alter ego. There's really only one person here recording. It's just, you know. Yeah, I'm just good at voices. Yeah. It's my ventriloquism skills. Dual personality. Yeah, that could be that too, right? Um, but yeah, no, Trailhead was, um, you know, it, it didn't seem very big. Like it, I didn't feel like, I mean, it was kind of crowded, but not near as crowded as I've just, I've seen like Moscone West before. But so. I was kind of curious about the environment and the, more so the atmosphere, considering that Salesforce just did all those layoffs and of course the stock was down and. What, what layoffs? Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to mention those. There was no mention of layoffs. Sorry. It, yeah. Everything was fine. Everything yeah. was peachy and fine. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Nothing to see here. Nope. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it, I don't know. I feel like the atmosphere was, was normal. Um, That's good. And when, while there were some sessions that, that did fill up mm-hmm. and were kind of overflow, um, most stuff you could get into without a problem. I mean, I've, again, I, I, Dreamforce and Trailblazer always blend together when I'm thinking the past, but I mean, I remember times before where, you know, was it, was it Dreamforce? Yes, it was Dreamforce this past year because I went mm-hmm. and um, there was one whole day that I struck out on every single thing I tried to go to. I just couldn't, couldn't get in or whatever. Yeah. Um, it wasn't near that crowded, overcrowded here this, this time at Trailblazer. So I'm sure it's a tough year to justify an expense. There, there might've been a lot of that. Yeah. yeah. I, again, I don't, I don't think Salesforce divulges what the numbers were so i don't i don't know if it was down this year or less than what they wanted but it was comfortable though that's what i like i like don't let's cap it at that <laughs> yeah i think salesforce subscribes to the uh, entertainment industry which is we don't publish numbers in those that are like stellar and we can use it to advertise the show yeah so we have shows like oh we don't we don't talk about numbers we don't release numbers and then they get a hit show and they're like look at all these numbers look at all these people watching <laughs> yeah and and the, the numbers they do publish are usually like developer work numbers they, no they well like especially during i don't i didn't see any numbers for for this event but like for dreamforce they always um you know benioff will mention the, the how many people are r- r- registered and then he'll kind of mm-hmm. morph that into then he'll start using that same number but for are, are here with us and i think he's using that phrase very loosely like they may be here with us in spirit they may be here uh with us here in uh online you yeah. know but i'm like no Pretty sure that sixty five thousand people didn't go to Dreamforce last year, or whatever oh, it was. They're, they're good at working with those numbers, you know, the gap and the non gap. That's true. Maybe, oh, maybe, um, yeah. you know, at Dreamforce it was it was sixty thousand, you know, non gap right. uh, attendees. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. See, that's why I have you on the show, John. That's why you're my <laughs> podcasting partner. That the kind of insight. Let's see. Uh, what do we want to start with? I mean, I, I guess we should start with some of the announcements if you if you remember any. I think the one that – there wasn't much that stood out to me, and I honestly did not pay much attention. I had some things I was working on and getting done, so I didn't really want to pay attention. Mm. So I kind of like lurked on the Slack channel, and there wasn't too much conversation around that. I think the, the only thing that really stood out to me was the free integration API-only licenses that 
were coming out. I was like, oh, that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a nice, that's a little, I guess, you know, nice to have thing. And, and I know some, for, to some organizations, that's really important. Um, well, it's really important. It's, but it's not an innovation. It's just like, oh, we're just going to flip on five free license for everybody. It's not like, it's not like, oh, that's a cool new Apex feature they added or something. <laughs> right. But I think it's important from a security perspective because we have, I mean, so many clients, the license is expensive. To tell them that they're going to have to buy a license for each one of these systems they want to integrate with is a big sell. Oh, it's, it, 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 yeah, it's a deal breaker. And it, so it causes some, some um, leniency, for lack of a better word, in how they approach security to the system. Totally. So they have this account that's shared with an admin, or sometimes it is its own account, but it's shared with multiple systems that basically has full access to everything. And what you really want to do is tailor access to what that system that you're integrating with needs. And to do that, you need at least one or two accounts to cover those scenarios. Yep. So I think it's really important from a security perspective, and I can't believe it, they've waited this long to do that. But, I mean, I, I think it's, it's really important. It sounds something simple, but I think from a security sp- perspective, I think it's pretty important. Yeah, and it's just one of those things. Let's make the, let's make the right thing easy mm-hmm. that, that Salesforce. Yeah. I, I think it came up last year, maybe, or at some previous True to the Core. And Yeah. I mean, I don't know why it takes so long to get something like that done, but – but they did it, you know, so that's that's good. I mean, that'll help. The, the other thing that I saw that piqued my interest was a roadmap that showed something in the future, although it's future, so who knows if it'll ever come, kind of like namespaces, but it was generic support. And I was oh, really excited about that. Apex, yeah. Um, you know, that's, they don't have a date on that. Yeah, no, um, that's like future, future. Like, maybe we'll get to this. Yeah, they do have... Um, there was some little little nugget of of additional generics they've added. Was that um, I forget if it was the list sorting. So they they've they're the adding list it. sorting via, via comparator. Yeah, so you can provide yeah. a basically a custom instead of the, just whatever the data types com, you know natural ordering is. You can provide your own comparator. Like, hey, oh, okay. sort. I'm going to give you a list of accounts and sort them by you know the, their state or something like that. Like you can say how to sort these things. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I mean, you can do that today, but how you have to kind of... How do you do that right now? You have to create a wrapper and oh, load yeah, all of that yeah. into it oh, and then God. sort everything by that. It's it's a really kludgy <laughs> way of doing it, but I've done it. This is one of those things. It's insane that we don't have a comparator already. I mean, that that's a, that is a day one. That's a day one language feature. Yeah. I just, but I mean, I'm, I'll be looking forward to having it, but... Oh, the pain that that kind of stuff causes. Just that little stuff, which is actually kind of big stuff. It's little, but it has a big effect to yeah. not have just that basic kind of stuff in a, in a language. Yeah, so this roadmap, what I see is um, this is the coming soon section, or at least, yeah, the coming soon is dynamic label resolution. Do you, and I said, I sat in on this session, so I should be able to explain that, but what what would that be? I have no idea. I wasn't there. Yeah, um, and I, I've, you know, that was in my brain for a period of time, but it is no longer in my brain. Dynamic label resolution. <laughs> I forget what that is. It you maybe it's that you um, the labels you can reference labels that don't exist yet, and it dynamically at runtime. I don't know. I can't. That doesn't sound right. So I don't know. I forget what that is. Well, maybe because right now in the language, in order to gain access to a la- label, you have to do you have to know the name of the label, which the API name, because it, it's basically metadata. So you would do your yeah. Label dot your API name for that label. And I'm assuming this is custom labels, and not field those... labels, but custom labels. And I think what that might mean, if I was to infer, is that you should be able to go to label and then open parentheses and give it a string 
and it would pull back the, the label text. At, at runtime, right? Not at, right. So, because right now, when you reference labels, are they are they not statically checked? Yeah, I think they're basically okay. constants okay. or something in the system. I don't know. Yeah. So I wonder what the use case would be. Maybe maybe um, dynamic like email templates that use labels that are. Oh, there's tons undef- of use cases. There's plenty of times yeah, where I wish yeah. I had that. I've okay. built wrapper classes on the label thing just so that I can dynamically reference it in mm. some way. Okay. I still have to know ahead of time or register that label, but at least from the code's perspective, I can give it something a little more loosey goosey to say, give me this label without creating a dependency on that label. Um, but anyways, the next one was flexible cube, flexible cubable depth, depth, which I have no idea what that means. Yeah. I wish I could describe this. So apparently if you have a cubable that kind of is recursive, mm-hmm. you know, there's, it actually, it's almost creates some kind of like st- uh, called call stack of those. Mm-hmm. And there's, it's like limited to 50 or something like that. Oh, and the best, again, I can't, I can't do this justice. Maybe we should have Chris Peterson or, or Daniel Bollinger or someone on to describe some of these to us at some point. Um, but uh, it's almost like tail call recursion. If hmm. for people who, yeah, if you know what that means. Um, so, you know, some, some programming languages, I mean, I think most now have, have that. So you you can basically, um, instead of recursion, instead of it being implemented as, as true, like, um, you know, it's calls on the stack being added, mm-hmm. um, the language kind of flips that and, and it makes it almost stackless. It's, it's somehow, um, so that, yeah, so that you don't have, you know, a stack depth problem, but that's kind of what this is. And, and, um, it will result in being able to do like way deeper, I guess, more, more recursive or intensely recursive, um, cubables. Gotcha. So unfortunately that's kind of, that might be the the next one, which is cubable deduplication. Yeah. And that was, that was, um, I I have these slides somewhere. So I took I took photos of them, but um, I think that was I think that so, so one of the problems is you know you can have um basically you know, I guess requests or something you know coming in at just unknown rates and you know and asynchronously that are result in cubables being created mm-hmm. and you can now have like a key for your cubable. Mm. So that if you try to register a cubable with the same key twice or multiple times, like the system starts rejecting it if it's seen that key before, something like that. Oh, that yeah, that could help with if you're triggering that's if you have a trigger that's launching cubables and the recursion kicks in on that uh, trigger. Be, yeah, which yeah. you know, today what I have to do is create a static variable and track all the IDs I stuck that I sent to that cubable and reject anything that, that got recursively called. Yeah, I, th- I think it. I think basically it's implementing like a. A, a no more than once semantic for uh, queuable requests. Yeah. I mean, it's not like it's a bad thing. It's running in the background, but it is a performance hog to re-execute data or on not data. A, that not only a performance hog, but it can be an endless and an infinite Well, queuables can be more dangerous too, because you can send it all the data. Whereas batch jobs, it's pretty much you tell it what to load and it. I mean, there's other ways around this. I know this, but at its core, you'd usually send it the data that you want processed. So that data could be stale if you're running multiples of the same queuable and it could be causing updates that don't need to happen. Yeah. And the other one was data weave and apex. I don't, I don't know. I feel like I missed the boat on data weave. I've been hearing a lot about it, but I have no idea what it is. Okay. Well, 
So DataWeave, it's been around for a, quite a while now because it's a MuleSoft thing. Okay. And it's basically, it's just a data transformation language. And okay. it's, it's really useful. It's very expressive. So, you know, you get some request in on your website that's in XML or JSON and you want to, you know, you need to tr- either transform that to some different values or s- split them up or, you know, convert that to an S object or something. So you'll mm-hmm. be able to, and it's just a, it's a really handy language and it's got all kinds of like f- kind of functional uh functions i guess um and like utilities just built into it so really useful hmm. uh, we've talked about it before because you know like in the in the open source world there's although i think i think i read that they are I, I, i'm i'm gonna say they are um mulesoft is open sourcing data weave oh, okay which is a yeah, whole, I've a whole heard separate the term, topic but. and i've heard the name and I, I i know we've talked about it but i just feel like it keeps coming up and i just have no practical experience okay. with it. So th- this will you'll love this. Um, every Apex developer will will love this because what it's previously like what when you're commonly doing transformations in Apex. I mean, you're again because Apex has other limitations like no no real generics and, and no no stream no stream processing and like like both data streams and also like functional streams. If I wish, we had, like, I wish we had better terms for this. Like but, adding a lightweight lambda expression to it, it or something? It, it kind of is in a way. Like in, it, it's something where you would want generics and, and lambdas and, and stream processing. Uh, we don't have that in Apex. So it makes data transformation a lot harder than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And although I still want all those things in Apex, like DataWeave will almost short circuit that. Gotcha. And, and, and lessen the pain because it's going to make a lot of that stuff much easier. I mean, the downside is you're tunneling a language in a language. I've kind of bitched about that before, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, a small price to pay for how useful data weave is going to be to literally every Apex developer, I think. Oh, so pretty exciting. Well, I'm glad that's in the coming soon. Yeah. Then that would be nice. Uh, then it goes into the long-term stuff. Um, first one is user mode plus perm set escalation, which I have no idea what that means. Um, so you can, you can say, Basically, you can have some Apex that's like, okay, run as the current user, not the right. system user. Which we have today. But add this permission set I to gotcha. them for this call. And you can go you can go in and out of um, that mode. You can go like in that user mode plus perm set, and then you can go back into system and back and forth in the same transaction. Hmm. But, but I think what's mo- more important, because I sat in on the session and, and Chris was describing how they – you know, because before we had we um, uh, what are the, like the what's the apex or the Sockwell clause for like with is it with user or with I forget, but there's all these there's all these things in apex where you can do it with a certain user's permission or whatever, and they were all kind of um not built into the core. I, I just, it's hard for me to explain this. Well, historically with Sockwell, you could say with sharing and in, in that, but recently they went GA was user mode, which is you could tell it what user to run it, that query under. Yeah. But it, it, it adhered to the permissions of that user. This looks like it's going to allow you to modify that and extend their permissions. And, and I might be, I might be um, confounding a couple of these things that are related to this, but because I don't know if this is already here, what I'm trying to describe or if it's coming. Um, but they, that team completely rebuilt how they implement all the like running as a certain user or, or whatever, all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's, it's core now. And there's no, cause it was kind of hacks. Like they would let it run and then they would kind of filter stuff out, you know, mm. like downstream for you or whatever. That might explain some of the weird bugs I got when testing, um, running as a portal user that I created on the fly. Yeah. But if you added permission sets, it like broke it, you know, you get the mm-hmm. bunch of. 
and it would it would break at random. Yeah, you know, um, that was the only thing I found that was just a bug that I was really difficult to reproduce in order for me to report it. But that was one of those weird things with run as that I just couldn't get mm. to work consistently. Yeah. But it sounds like that. Yeah. They just, they rebuilt this from the ground up and it's, and it's much better and way more scalable for the future stuff they're going to want to do with, with permissions and apex. Yeah. It doesn't get talked a lot of, about a lot, but um, hopefully people are preparing to transition how they're handling security because profiles are going to get neutered in favor of permission sets. How are they going to be neutered? Are well, they... they're going to move all the permissions to permission sets, okay. and you'll be managing permissions at the permission set level, not at the profile, which I think is Okay, perfect. so profiles will simply be a composite of permission sets, basically? You can say, hey, here's permission set, and it's made up, you know, use these. I doubt it. I no? think they'll just neuter it to the point where it's it's got some basic profile information. So for each user, you know, like let's say you have like your typical, I don't know, sales user has, you know, six or seven different permission sets. So for every sales user you create, you got to go and apply those six or seven permission sets. I guess you have permission set groups. I was going to say, we have things like permission set groups and things that will make that easier. Okay. So I, I don't really see the need to, I think it just should be a cutoff, meaning we're about to, <laughs> uh, we'll clone all your current profiles as a migration. And I'm, I'm guessing here, this is what I would do as a migration path is just have the system clone all the current profile permissions into permission sets, make those assignments automatically, and then neuter profiles to where it has Almost nothing to do with security. Yeah. I mean, um, I don't know what it would do at that point, but. It's probably still controlling layouts. I mean, I don't know how far this is going to go, but I know that, that that's the plan is is to kind of reduce the complexity around security and managing security, which is a big issue right now because it's done in half of a million different ways. And, and I mean, it's you have. You have your profile, you have your permission sets. And then if you're talking about portal users, you have your profile and you have your sharing sets and then you have sharing rules and you just have all these different ways uh, of managing security. It's just getting crazy. And I, it's got to be a burden on the system, on those security layers to yeah, manage all I, I that. I will say that, that that crew that works on all that stuff, I mean, they implement permission because, you know, one of the uh, – apart from security, probably the next most important per aspect of – Salesforce's implementation of of security is performance, mm-hmm. and it's really crazy. Uh, that's that's one of the things I always give Salesforce kudos on because I've seen the alternatives, but the the fact that they can implement that complex of a security model with without significant performance problems. I mean, I'm sure they, I'm sure as a part of the process of developing some of these security features, like they are hammering out the performance issues. I'm sure like the first implementation is like just unacceptable. It's like it's mm-hmm. you know. But I mean, every, you know, when you're, when you're slamming data in via the bulk API or just like, or pulling data out or just doing all these kind of operations, I mean, just, you know, you're just talking about how complex the security model is and it's having to like apply all those different layers and facets of security for mm-hmm. every operation and every record that's going in or out or whatever. That's right. Um, but the downside to a complex security model, which is, I think it's fair to say we have nowadays, right, is that. A security model that you can't easily understand is a is a is not a secure security model. If yeah. your admins and your security people or whoever's in charge can't, if it's hard for them to understand, like for any given person, like <laughs> okay, so I got to apply this profile, then then they've got these permission sets, and they've got these what are the new anti permissions called negative permissions? I got those, and there's some, but then there's some sharing sets, and like just trying to understand what effective access a user might have if that's hard to understand mm-hmm. then that's a security problem 
Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. And if it gets to be too big of a hurdle, people will just open things up. They will. Which, which we've seen. Exactly. Yeah. It's Again, it's you, you want to make the right thing the easy thing. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And just opening up permission because it's just no one can understand it. That's uh, that's not the right thing. Right. <laughs> Probably. This next one, I'm not sure who this is for, but it's better testing for post-install. Better testing. Oh, for post-install. Yeah. The only post-install. Oh, maybe it's – it's probably – I suspect because I haven't done a, much package work in a long time now. But I suspect that it's hard to test post-install stuff. It is. Um, I've only had to write a few things that involve it, but it was basically just executed. And I don't even think I have any assertions in it other than it didn't error. Yeah. And maybe that's what it's talking about. Mm-hmm. There is some weird context that you have to be aware of or something, and there's certain things you can't do within that. Um, but it does feel like it's kind of outside of the norm to the point where the few times that I've had had to do it, um, I basically just run it, call it, and just only check for errors. That's my only assertion is yeah. that it didn't error. Mm-hmm. So uh, Further queuable enhancements. So that's a big iffy unless the, unless they talked about it that you I, remember. I, th- I don't even know what that is, but I will just say it's very clear that queuables are the future. Over all other there I think it sounds like that, and they didn't. They didn't say this, and they were very cautious not to say this. But I mean, it sounds like all of the other asynchronous slash future things are basically on the road to deprecation at some point. Oh, all the future. St- yeah, that makes sense. There's really not much point in future. I mean, they're they're just investing so massively in queuable, and and like I said, they they didn't. There was no. There was no statement that it, that stuff is legacy or going away, but. In so many words, it was kind of said that Cubeless is the future. That's where we're investing. And someday, at some point, these other things are going to be deprecated. So, you think, I mean, I could see that definitely pertaining to future methods. I wonder if that has any impact on batch methods. Like maybe if they're going to try to unify all the asynchronous backend processing. Batch is getting some love too. Um, And in fact, did you see the stuff about batching via queuable? Oh, if they're talking about that, then I'd say batchable isn't on its way out. Um, yeah. Because that's it, our main use case is we, well, it's not our main use case, but it is something that we do do is that we chain queuables to create a batchable, almost a synchronous linear batchable process. So again, I forget the details, but they are basically adding like batching capabilities to, to queuable or something like that. And I think one of the reasons people do that is because we've already got the data and memory that we want to process. Oh, John, the other big thing that makes that work, I think, is – is it in here? Um, hang on. Oh, well, that, so the job rate, first of all, that was interesting. Did you see that? You can control, like, job rate. But um, no, there's a uh, – what's the uh, the query locator? They're making it more serializable or something, which is allowing it to be used in – in batch, I yeah. Mean, oh, and also in the in the cubable, yeah. You can actually you can actually say each time the cubable runs, it 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 deserializes the query locator, and then you can just tell the query locator, um, give me the next twenty records. Oh, kind of like uh, the API. I, I guess so. Or you can that, you, that's you can the say give me the, the next two hundred, give me the next twenty, whatever it is. Right, because in the API you can say, here's my batch. Give me your query locator. I'm going to process that batch. And now give me the next batch of records. But but 
the difference I think with the way the cubal is doing it is every time the cubal runs, you ask the query locator for whatever number of records you want for that batch. You can it can be bigger, it can be smaller. You can each time it runs, it can be different because you're just oh, pulling so you off can, of that query locator. It's not fit like because I feel like with bat with the batchable, it's fixed up front. It right? is fixed, yeah. yeah. So they're I mean they're really adding some fairly cool stuff to cubal. That's definitely where you want to be spending your time these days. I mean, if they're putting that type of investment in it, I. It it seems plausible that definitely future and possibly batchable will will be uh, phased out. Yeah. Um, the other one we've already talked about, or at least kind of list sorting via comparator. Oh yeah, and yeah. then generics. So do they expand on generics at all, or they just kind of just said it? Someone in the Slack posted and said this has been on the roadmap for like seven years. Which so there's a lot that's been on the roadmap for quite a long time, but to see it come back up. Um, is at least encouraging, hopeful. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen it on these slides for at least a couple of years now, but it's always been, hey, we're thinking about this. We want to do it, but it's definitely long term. I just feel like it's getting closer. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Maybe, I mean, I'd love to see a pilot in six to 12 months. If not what is a Apex type implementer? You aware of that one? That one. That one apparently went GA in spring. I probably should know about that. I have no idea. With Apex type implementer. Yeah, it's on here. Implementer. It's, this is the uh, Google section. I mean, one one thing they added was, or they're adding, I guess in the future is, it's it's a it's a reflection thing, but you can basically say, hey, um, get me the list of classes that implements this interface. Oh, I guess you yes, do I have. I did. I do remember. I don't know if that's what this is, but it says represents Apex classes that directly or indirectly implement an interface. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's so I guess that you is. can't do I, that I am right aware now. of that one. Okay. I just. Yeah. I mean, they're slowly. That'll be adding, good for tooling. Um, um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Or or also managed packages where uh, you might have a managed package where you you provide an, an interface in your package as a global. And you're the customer, the installing org, could then provide their implementation of it, and you could just scan at runtime to see. It, well, it'll make it possible for um, tooling around dependency injection because you can say, uh, "Dear customer, create a class, implement this interface," and then you give them a UI that says, "You know, whenever XXX runs, use this implementation of that interface." Yeah, and give them a way to do that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, maybe cool. man, maybe that's just a convenience because I feel like via the tooling API you can already you could ha- you could go through every every Apex class and look at what it implemented and and just follow those trees and probably build that yourself. It's just that this is like a nice convenience class that does it for you. Well, I, no, I think I think what it enables is for you to write you to be able to provide an interface to users in Salesforce a way to either identify those classes or perform some kind of dependency injection or choose what type of logic path to use by saying these classes support this interface and thus they, they can be used. I understand that. I'm just saying that I think you could, I think you could do this. Yeah. I think you can already do this. You can already go through every, you can enumerate every apex class and then see what they implement and build that list yourself of like, here are the. Right. But I'm talking about doing this real time within the apex language. Me too. I don't think you can use it. Oh, you can't do that in Apex. No, no you gotcha, can't do it in Apex. gotcha. Okay, because you can't do the tooling API from Apex. Uh, I mean, you can, kind of, but who's going to do that? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I mean, I've never tried. But. It's it's a bit more difficult than it used to be because you used to be able to pass sessions is it, around. Is it the reach around method? Yeah, but okay. you used to be able to pass the same session around and gain access to all the APIs. But since they started messing oh, yeah. with the domains, it's it, just you can't do it down. anymore. Yeah, they've they've cut some of that off. Yeah. 
And they do have a metadata API, but it like supports layouts, which I've used, and meta- custom metadata types, which I've used. Um, and it's very cumbersome. It's not a fun interface to use. No. And it only supports basically those types. There's maybe a couple. There's like some reporting types or something that it supports, but it's. it looks like it was it had a vision, and this was like the first implementation, and then work just stopped on it. Mm. Maybe so. There's also there's that popular wrapper that Apex um, wrapper that wraps the metadata API, so you can call so you have access to the full API. Yeah, I think it's just it's it's asynchronous though. So when you make a um, yeah, there's a whole library. It's open source. I yeah. think it started with um, Financial Force, one of their have. enterprise library packages. But yeah. yeah, I mean that's what it was for. But good luck getting that through security review because Salesforce doesn't like you manipulating the the. Uh, uh, system through the API like that. It's just as a package, which is why oh, I've had to use the mm, the the metadata API classes. Yeah, you know the native Apex supported versions of it, so that we don't get flagged on security review. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the job right thing I mentioned earlier. That's something else that I guess they've added. I, I'm not sure when it's available, but for um, when you queue up a queuable, you can say delay this at least this amount of time. I think it's in seconds or no, it's minutes. Wow. That's, I remember thinking when I was watching the, when I was watching this talk that, that I'm like, wow, that's really coarse grained. Like what if I, I mean, I could see like needing to do like maybe a hundred milliseconds or something like that or, or minutes as well. But I feel like you should, I feel like that definitely should have been in milliseconds. But. Hmm. And what is it? It's so you can when you, when you queue up a new queuable, you can just say, Hey, don't run this for, for at least five minutes. Okay. I think that's because some people, you know, there's just some use cases where it's hard to prevent runaway jobs when you don't know what your exit criteria is for continuing jobs or what, or maybe, I don't know. Or if you just, I guess if you just have a job that's constantly kind of cues itself up, you can just say, yeah, don't run this for at least five minutes, which is great. Cause that's another one of those things we've with, um, schedulable things that you need them to run more frequently than what. Salesforce's cron schedule scheduler allows you to run. And so you have it run, but, and then you have it kill the schedule and create a new schedule. That's like one minute. So that's how you can get stuff to run like once a minute or whatever. Uh, yeah. There's weird hacks I know, and yeah. like that. Yeah. So maybe this would make just to make this less gross to do stuff like that. Yeah. And it's, it's certainly, I think cutting into that, what people are trying to do and at least Salesforce has given them a way to do it. Um, I mean, because, yeah, we've all developed these hacks and we've all used them, but they're they're obviously not the most performant thing to do in the system, but it works. And, and they just they result in code that's complex and hard to understand, you know. And yeah. it's, and, you know it, it's what we call accidental complexity. Like, let's reduce the accidental complexity of all this. Make, yeah. make our code more expressive and meaningful and, and comprehensible. Yeah, just never, never uh, bet against a user or a developer. They get very creative in implementing things. Oh, that's true. So did you watch like the keynote or anything? No. Okay. So the keynote was very, you know, GPT heavy. So they showed. Um, yeah. I was going to ask about that. You know, they, that's, I mean, there was, they showed it, you know, creating test classes, um, but just, and I don't know, maybe this stuff will get better, but you know, it's, it doesn't know how to do any meaningful insertions or anything. It just, it just kind of writes you a skeleton test class for stuff. Test classes, I guess. I mean, I see it as, uh, what what uh, Jurassic Park? The quote: uh, "Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think of whether or not they should." I feel like the whole tech industry right now 
has jumped on GPT for headlines and everything else where GPT AI and you can do this and you can do that. <laughs> but there's, there was no discipline be- behind gaining that, that access. So it has, and it's a, it's a solution looking for a problem. There's just no practical practicality for it. Everyone's just kind of doing, oh, I did this. It's pretty cool. I, and it, it, I'm not saying that it's a bad technology and I'm saying it can't, I'm not saying that it can't be used effectively. What I'm saying is because it's become this buzzword and companies have jumped onto it and just started sticking Einstein branding on it, that it came with no discipline and there's really no use cases for it yet. And they're hoping that some creative person in this ecosystem will come up with a proper way of using it. I guess I'd, I, I, I don't know. I see plenty of use cases for it. There's um, plenty of use cases, but whether or not they're practical and worth the investment and time and everything else and whether or not it's going to be truly effective is a whole different story. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It it just like the 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 more practical demo I thought they showed was um it created like a they had it create like a form like a like a um like a letter almost or some kind of I forget it was that if it was a letter or some kind of marketing document. Mm-hmm. But they just you know asked it to you know create a create a an, a document you know an email about this and include some appropriate imagery, and it writes the email. And now again, to what degree it's like using data from your org? I think it, I think it can, or they're planning for that. Mm-hmm. So it kind of enriches. It's just the whole what what uh, GPT is the the language model and everything. It's in the corpus it's trained on. But in addition to that, you can mix in your org data as well, and it will use that. Um, but yeah, you could have it. You can have it write, you know, uh, a knowledge article, um, you know, emails and stuff like that. And and again, you can say like it includes some imagery, and it will just. I think it generates the images. I don't think it goes mm-hmm. and steals them from the web or anything. And it just. It's, I mean, again, it's a demo, but I I don't think we're. I thought the I, I, augmented I, reality with the guy that had little specs that showed him, you know, highlights around a a machine and what to do and documentation. I thought that was cool too. <laughs> But that wasn't practical. <laughs> or what about the thing that would tell you if you're, if you're one Coke model low in your Coke machine? <laughs> yeah. What about the drone flying in my damn Coke? Uh, yeah. That was cool. Yeah. It demoed uh, well, uh, but it was it practical. Do we have drones no, flying around bringing no. me Cokes? Those and demos were way more ridiculous, John. That was a that was a joke. That was embarrassing. <laughs> I, I just this think, is, and I, I think that that plays into GPT too. I mean, I mean, yeah, it can do these things, but come on. Companies are made up of people, of professionals with experience and knowledge that can drive things. And uh, uh, how, how, let me, I need to rephrase how I'm approaching this. What makes a company competitive isn't the fact that they can do the same thing that everyone else does. What makes them competitive is they can do um, what everyone else does better with high quality standards. And I don't think you're going to get that from some AI bot in GPT who's, who's basically leveling the playing field. The same complaint about Unreal 5, but mind you, really great technology, really great to make realistic things. But now you're seeing all these games come out and they all look the freaking same. Yeah. It, there's no creativity. Yeah. There's no – I mean obviously it will get there. You can use the tools to make something really nice. Right. But because it came out and people can do these things, it just created this really sameness around and it's just awful. It's not a good experience for people at all. I mean do you think it's fair to say that – let's like, let's just for argument say that I agree with you. But I will add to that that even even if that's your philosophy on this, mm-hmm. it has raised the table stakes. So even the companies that are competing well on their creativity and their own special sauce, like they they're going to have to use this generative AI just just to generate the basic stuff. 
because everyone else is going to be doing it and you cannot you will not be able to compete if you're still paying people to do you know the basic stuff manually Mm, i get what you're saying i think what it i i will add to what you're saying and say that i don't think it means that they have to do the basic stuff i think it means that they have to go well above and beyond to be hyper creative in what they offer yeah and and there's going to be you know the difficulty and this is i i I worry about what all this generative ai is going to do to the web i mean the web is just going to be full of word salad shit oh yeah um and it's just and and of course that's going to get fed back into the machine so you're gonna the web's gonna be explode uh, full of generated crap, but then these things are gonna they're gonna be consuming their own product, and it gets every time it gets more distorted, more distorted, more distorted because it's not being writ by written by you know thinking people. I know well, that's the, the bot, argument, the bot but, in itself will end up in its own bubble. We have those bubbles today. We have bubbles in the media and every in entertainment where things start to look and sound oh, and yeah. act the same yeah. because they're, they're feeding worse. back into themselves. They're it, not going out and, you know, what is Joe blow out in Montana really like, or what does he want yeah. to be entertained by? No, they're fed by their own bubble. And I think the same potential risk is there for, for the bots. And if you already thought that the web was way too full of SEO bait in the first place, Oh yeah. Oh, this is times a thousand. It's just going to explode with garbage. Well, I, I, and it's not, it, it it probably takes away some of the casualness of things too, the way we interact with humans. You know, it we've gone to this virtual environment where we're mostly interacting with each other virtually. So the thing, so we try to be more casual in the way we talk. I use Grammarly, yeah, and I'm starting to not like Grammarly because it changes everything I write, or at least, I mean, I choose to let it change everything I write to sound professional. Well, maybe if you, it's, it's, maybe if you wrote better, it wouldn't have to change so much, Sean. <laughs> it's cause I'm writing so fast. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And I used to pride myself on my grammar, but as I, but I'm also very casual when I'm writing emails or when I'm oh, writing yeah. something, but yeah. Grammarly wants to change it to be very proper. No. Oh, and I feel plugin? like it loose. Yeah. Like a Gmail plugin or something. It's, it's a plugin for everything. You can plug oh. it into your OS and it'll like start highlighting things oh. in your word docs, your, wow. your Google docs, your emails, everything, everything. Okay. Um, even your Slack messages. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, it does some weird overlay. I don't know how it does it, but it, it's gotten really good at, do you have to give it like system level access? Is there a thing? I think you, so. Yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, Basically, you would have to read right? your screen and starts injecting things. Cause I can move my screen and see it. Like, like some of the things that it was highlighting kind of like lose and jump over to where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. That kind of delay. Yeah. Um, but anyways, pop in the stack. I've noticed it. And it was as early as yesterday. I noticed that I was spending a lot of time re-editing my messages and I was like, well, now this sounds like some, corporate bot wrote this email and not me you know right yeah Yeah, my grammar sucks yeah my spelling sucks because i'm writing this so fast but it's casual and it says what i need to say and yeah i missed i said that word wrong but people usually get what i'm trying to say so i my i kind of have i think a style where unless i'm sending a formal email or like some kind of you know bulk email like I like my, oh, this is, it depends on the type of email I'm sending. If I'm just replying to, and this is on long ongoing thread, that's one thing. You know, if I'm sending an email to, um, just, you know, to, to someone I'm not real acquainted with mm-hmm. and, you know, let's say we're kicking off a project, I need to email like the CTO or CIO or, or yeah. anyone like, I, yeah. you know, okay, I'm going to try to make sure my stuff's capitalized and I have, you know, proper sentences and stuff. But I mean... Once replies start going back and forth or like in stuff like Slack, I mean, I'm 
I'm super, I make it a point to be super casual and not perfect because I want to reinforce that casual relationship. Yes. The type of, the type of communication we'd be having if we were sitting in an office together and talking like it's, you know, off off, off the cuff, talking raw raw thoughts, right. (laughs) You know, I kind of want to know what those raw thoughts are. I want to know all the little minor little rat holes that your brain was going down that we, that would have been part of our conversation. Right. But now we're all editing ourselves. Well, cause they're information, they're information that cues you on what your intent is. There are, there are some nuggets there. Yeah. You'd say. Yeah. And if everyone's just, you know, if, if Slack messages are these well curated thought out things, then yeah, I think you lose some of that. So I try to be real informal and, and just fast off the cuff. Like I, and it's kind of a, you know, one downside is like, you know, I'll be talking with someone and I'll have like four or five messages in a row that are each like a phrase or a sentence. And I'm like, no, that's, I could have just made those one message and not had four messages. But, but, but on the other hand, your stream of thought, it does, it does. Yeah. And that's what I like. And it's also more real time for the, if the, if the person that I'm communicating with had just happens to be watching that thread that we were kind of going back and forth in real time, mm-hmm. then they can see my stream of thoughts and they're not having to wait until, you know, it's like when you're texting on a, on a phone and like, you know, you can see that someone's texting you, at least if you have iMessage and you just right. get the dots, the three, the ellipses dots that are yep. animating. And then sometimes it's like, oh my God, would you just hit send? Like, don't, <laughs> don't think so much when you're texting me. Oh, sometimes I accidentally hit a letter and then I walk away from my phone. Oh, you do that. Yeah. yeah. And it just shows me John's, you know, John's trying to text you. I'm like, well, <laughs> I don't want to walk away. I don't want to be rude and walk away in the middle of a conversation, but come on, John. Oh, isn't it weird that we've done that to ourselves? <laughs> we have these devices that are, that are meant to be asynchronous, but we sit there synchronously waiting for that feedback. In some ways we're waiting for that, that, uh, that human connection yeah. that we get. Maybe maybe the dopamine responses, which everyone's talking about. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's dopamine or what it is, but we definitely need something. Um, okay, well let's let's see what other. I mean, let's see, I guess I'm just thinking of the keynote. Um, did I take notes for that? I might have, but I didn't. I don't know. I just get. I always I sit down to these keynotes and these things, and I, I'm always I always think to myself, I'm going to take some good notes at this Dreamforce or this Trailblazer DX, and I just end up, you know, like 20 minutes in, it's just like. It's, it's all the fluff and pageantry and mm-hmm. and meta stuff. And it's just like, I just lose. My, it like fries my brain. I mean, I think that's what they're good at is like frying your brain, putting your brain into like this non-analytical mode. Well, I think, right? I think it's because we, we it, approach but, these conferences the wrong way. We go in thinking we're going to learn something and we're going to take notes as if we were sitting in on a seminar. I mean, there, we're not. There are they're, those sessions. There are those sessions for sure. I mean – they are, but there's so much information to kind of cram into it. And the speaker is doing their best to not only present, fight against their nerves and anxiety, uh, meet the time constraints, and also be somewhat entertaining. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, there's only so much you can do with an hour or 30 minutes, depending on the session. Right. Um, so, it's kind of tough to sit there and just take notes because I did the same thing. I sat – I've taken different ways, computers, laptop – I'm sorry, uh, iPads, uh, paper notes, and they just never work out the way I think. Mm. Now, what I what I do feel is is a good way of using notes is to reinforce what you're hearing. So, almost like a highlighter. Like if you're reading something and you highlight something, is to use your notes as a highlighter, basically to to just jot down things that resonate with you, rather rather than trying to dict or take dictation on what they were saying. Yeah, I, wonder if I did. I swear, I took Trailblazer. What do I call it? It's the other problem with um. Gosh, this oh, is funny. I'm searching old stuff now. 
<laughs> okay. Conferences. This is from 2020, and the title of this note is Salesforce Insane Head Scratchers. Um, that's fun. Yeah, I have all kinds of weird stuff. Well, list a couple of them. I want to know uh, what those I don't are. Even, hang on. Let me it's almost like a time uh, capsule. I, I just already lost it. Trail. Oh. Uh, what was it? Head Scratchers? Yeah. What was this? Um, oh, yeah, I don't know. This is something about unhandled FX exception emails sometimes don't get sent. I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking there. <laughs> but again, yeah, I probably thought I was going to take a good series of notes and uh, anyway, I don't know where my notes are, but, um, but yeah, they, you know, they, you know, these, and then, you know, at the end of a two hour keynote, you're like, okay, so. They showed me, you know, some generative AI stuff that's two years out. They had all kinds of customer stories, all kinds of, um, you know, uh, you know, re- <laughs> it's it's if very church-like in terms of, you know, reinvigorate your invigorate your faith, you know, and get all excited. You know, it's a it's a um, it's a revival. These things did are revival. They have the MVP stand up and cheer. I'm sure they did. Yeah. Um, but uh, what well, was cool? Um, so I, I didn't know what I was watching at the time, but they were they were showing off data cloud stuff. I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, I don't know. It's like Salesforce, like storing my parquet files for me now. And like, you know, kind of, so this is like data lake stuff. This is cool. Um, and I thought it was something new. Mm-hmm. And then later I was talking to someone and like, oh, that's that's just Genie. We rebranded. I'm like, oh. so I, I guess I'm, I, I guess that was not a new, th- I mean, they'd already done that, but I, I, I miss that Genie is. <laughs> I didn't know it got rebranded again. That's fairly yeah. a new name too. Yeah. So Genie is uh, Ixnade and it's now called Data Cloud. And it's pretty cool, but it's just, again, it's one of those things, you know, if you have a lot of these different Salesforce clouds and you need to, um, you have that need, I mean, it's pretty useful, but I, I just get the sense that it's, um, very expensive and, but it, it does look Maybe cool. It's just not as cool magical stuff. as they, as they originally thought it was going to be. I mean, so they, they couldn't call it genie anymore. Like, it doesn't grant wishes. I, I liked the demo. I thought it looked cool. I think the concepts are cool. Um, and again, for large enterprises that, that have a big Salesforce footprint or whatever, I think mm-hmm. it, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's basically like on platform, um, like data lake integration type stuff. I just, I'm not sure, you know, if, and when I'll have the opportunity to use it though, or to learn it. Yeah. Some of this stuff is just, it's just not in my world. I don't deal with clients that big. So it's, it's hard right. for me to recommend it. Um, even functions. Like I really want to get into functions, but I just have no use cases to use it. And the few that I can think of are so small that the, $2,000 a month price tag of it just is like, no, I can't do that. I mean, for that amount, you can get a freaking whole data integration platform. I'm glad you brought up functions. <laughs> did, you, did you hear much about functions? No, no, I did not. I have a bad feeling in my stomach about functions. Really? Yes. That they're just not working out? Yes. Due to lack of interest or due to the technology? I'm not sure. Or I don't know if it's, I don't know. I don't know if it's created performance problems or if there's something else coming that's going to. Well, I, that, I mean, the price tag usually means Salesforce is gatekeeping. Yeah. They don't want you to use it. Yeah. Is it still expensive? Last I checked. Yeah. I just wanted, I just wanted to be able to give someone a way to consume a 
SFTP file. <laughs> um, yeah. And I don't even know if you can do that with functions. Um, you should be able to. You should be able to. Yeah. I, mean, I, I don't know what kind of, I don't, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of what it's for. I mean, that's one of the use cases it's for. Oh, you need to stream process through, you know, a, a 250 megabyte CSV file? Use That's what functions is for, right? Yeah. But, but like I said, I mean, 2000 a month for an SV, uh, I can't say SFTP. It's hard to say. <laughs> an, SFTP, an FTP file or a file system reader. There's too many, there's too many sibilants. There is. Um, it's just, that's just not prudent. It's just not, it's not a good architecture cost wise. There's, there's no ROI there. No. I mean, unless you've just got a large enough use case and you don't have servers somewhere to host something. I mean, it's just, this is not a good fit. Yeah. And maybe that's what they're struggling with is, you know, finding a good fit where well, the, where the, the costs um, average out. They, they might also uh, just spitballing here, but they might, might, they might be planning on replacing a lot of those functions, use cases with data cloud. Oh, maybe, maybe there's just so much overlap that it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. cause data cloud, you know, processes through tons of data really fast. It's, you know, probably built on, um, Oh, what would it be? Um, I don't know. Some Apache product, I'm sure. Yeah. And Parquet files or some other kind of you know, columnar storage or something. I don't know. I don't know if it's, it's not, it's not really an analytics use case. It's, I feel like it's more, I guess, data lake versus data warehouse, more data lake use cases. You've got, you know, big piles of data in different places and different formats that you need to move around and do different things with and process on a regular basis. That's kind of, I mean, that was before, before Genie, that was what they told us to use functions for, or that functions would be used for. Mm. So maybe, maybe we're just replacing a lot of the function use cases with other things. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, really have, I, I have no information. Like I'm just, I did notice. I was I'm like, wow, there was not, and maybe I missed them. So someone's going to like email into us or Slack and say like, no, there was like 12 sessions on functions. Maybe there were, I just didn't hear any talk about functions anywhere. And I wasn't looking for function sessions, so maybe if I'd looked for them, they were there. I don't know, but just didn't hear anyone talking about them. It was just weird. It was, it, it, it you know, after, after a while, you start, you, something's like not sitting right with you. And you're like, oh, oh yeah, functions. Like there was nothing about functions that I saw. That's that's weird. It doesn't. Well, you know. what about Slack? Was there anything about Slack? Um, yeah, there was. Yeah. Um, uh, like more. It was around like developing. They're making you know new ways to develop on Slack and events into Slack and all that kind of crap. That makes sense. Cause I, I did notice on LinkedIn that Salesforce has quite a few job postings on LinkedIn, despite all the layoffs, but a lot of them were around Slack development. Yeah. Interestingly enough. Yeah. So I think they're, yeah, I think I still think they definitely believe in that. I mean, they need to make that acquisition work <laughs> a little pricey as they say. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean the, at least from what I saw, because I, we, we had some use cases where we wanted to integrate Slack with, with some things and they, the Slack, app model is not what you would think it's more of a you're more creating just kind of a an interface over a api so you pretty much have to have an api for your application okay and then use slack's tools to wire up that api to an interface in slack so it's not like you're building on the slack platform you're just kind of creating these ui interfaces to your api okay um and so that kind of took me back because it was you know, I thought I would be able to create a Slack app and right. host it on on Slack, like I would an App Exchange app. Mm-hmm. But that's just that's just a difference in the platform. So maybe they'll move it to be more platform centric, or maybe 
maybe there's going to be new hooks into Apex or something. I don't know. Yeah. But it was certainly a a shocker to me because I had certain expectations that that obviously weren't there. Mm. Yep. But it makes sense. I mean, I mean, it's a chat program. I mean, I don't. Yeah. I don't, don't think it ever claimed to be a platform. So. I mean, it kind of is now. That's what that's. It's a platform. And it's it needs, in, a, in a very loose term. It needs to be way more than a chat program for, yeah. for as valuable as it is. So. Well, do we want to transition or do you still have more on that? Well, let me see what else I have here. I can look at some notes. Um, I, that, this is not a trailhead thing, but I saw that, I guess, Salesforce rebranded the NFT cloud. Um, and it's now... To canceled? <laughs> <laughs> it so, should be. As far as NF, NFT cloud. Well, just because you use it doesn't mean that people don't use it, John. What, people are using NFTs? No, so they're calling it, they're just calling it Web3. Oh, that's even worse. Oh, that's even worse. <laughs> really? Web3 is dead. So dead. Well, I mean, NFTs are a a pillar of it is. of it Web3. is because they want they want Web3 to be virtual and meta and NFTs are how you're going to Well, is there not is the currency okay. for the metaverse and it's just it's bullshit. So, as much of a lot of that was bullshit, is there not some value we can extract and and there use. might be, but public trust has been eroded to nothing like when there, it comes to that stuff. There are definitely use cases. There are the for, use cases for, for the technology. Yeah. Yes, but public trust of that technology has is zero. Yeah. With the craps, with craps, <laughs> collapse of these coin exchanges, with the rampant um, scamming on NFTs, yeah. um, also the rampant or scamming how, um, of F- virtual worlds and land and real estate. It's no one trusts it yeah. except for a handful of people who I don't know how they over leverage themselves into spending all their um, crypto on this stuff. I mean, w- when you hear about these people losing like 500,000 or a million dollars, they're losing their crypto assets. Um, so it's not like direct dollars. It's not like they had $500 million. I mean, some of them did, yeah. but I'm just saying that's still a lot of money. Yep. I just think from the, from the ashes of this, there will be some some things that remain that are useful. Maybe. It just yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Um, they also also announced like these. I think it was like nine, you know, a thousand flow templates, which are sounded like they were kind of starting points. Um, I'm gonna have to Google this. Did you see that? I I heard about it. I um. A year ago, or maybe six, let's say three months ago, I would have said, eh. But having done some fairly simple flows that took a fair bit of time, I welcome templates because flows and screen flows are tedious compared to typing. Yeah. Out of the box flow templates. Um, you can start to build and automate faster using templates that follow best practice and simplify business um automation what would you like to automate so service i'm going to open this so creating case verifying a customer resetting a password i guess i don't know i think they're just starter like starter flows for just a bunch of different use cases you know what flow needs um i think there used to be a name for this but there's a way there's a language script um that you can create flows from it's is it the one that the big ass guys made maybe 
I mean, but, the stuff they're doing, and again, I don't, I don't do a lot of flow. So I don't, I don't. But I, oh no, that's that's a um, that's a merge scripting tool. I think that you're talking about. Yeah, maybe so. I don't know. They have all, they have a bunch Their of automation stream script stuff. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It's like a it, it's it's something else. Looks really but, cool. But there's there's been this thing in in flow charting um, where you could type out your your flow chart and it will start generating the diagram. And I think flows need something like that. Some kind of lightweight scripting text-based way of outlining or standing up your flows. Cause it's very tedious. That point and click interface is just extremely tedious and it's not, you, you need to double your estimates for everything you're doing because it's just, it's just tedious. Well, the it's time, time consuming. Yeah. The times I've used flow, I was, yeah, I was not happy with just that. It's gotten better and you've got better hooks and you've got better ways to handle errors and things. So it's getting better. Mm-hmm. And as long as you do it properly and you handle your errors and you're defensive in your in the way you're executing your blocks or your nodes, you can you can do pretty well. Mm-hmm. But the problem is there's there's a lot of people who aren't doing that. They're just drag and dropping whatever they can. It works when they run it, and yep. therefore let's go to production. Yep. I'm a, it's funny because again, you know, I don't I don't follow the flow space real closely, but. Um, I heard of a couple of people just point out like limitations of flow still. And one of them is that like, I guess in before the before context with flows, like they don't have access to formula values whereas like apex does. And, and I guess in flow, you can't do like add like in apex, what we would do, like add error, like on a trigger, like add error to certain records or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't do that with flow. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, and then I and there's a lot of things that we do for performance reasons or for getting around the limit reasons, um, like having access to a map that you don't have access to in in um, flows. So, yeah. so if you want to work through a set of records and do some matching, you have to do a ton of looping. Yeah, I mean, also just, I mean, again, you know, use the use the tool, you know, that you have that you that are accessible to you, and try to use the right tools. No, nope. but, but Jeremy, hang on, hang don't on. say that. Okay. Flows the future. I mean, for a no lot of code. things. No code. No <laughs> code. I know. But, you know, the, f- flow will never be on par with Apex in terms of, like, uh, staying dry, as an example. Mm. And and dry is just better quality and faster to market and more maintainable. And, you know, if, you, if you're not dry and you've got a bunch of repeated stuff and that means your testing probably isn't as good. I mean, well, still, just testing is, is not on par. But that hurts your ability to... Um, not only the illities I just named, but also what what's the illity that's like the your confidence in enhancing and in making changes to your org that you are in fact not breaking stuff. And if you're not if you're not dry, very much not dry in a lot of places, then that's gonna it just slows all that down. And you know you want to avoid the the org quagmire situation. Yeah, I think Salesforce suffers from the perspective that they see this technology like Flow. And it's so universal, or at least so flexible, in and in a, in a relatively way speaking, that they think it's the answer to everything. In this case, yeah. flow replaced workflow. But I don't think it should have ever have, and I've made this argument I, before. I think that's reductive to say that flow replaced workflow. Flow is replacing kind of a lot of things. Well, it is, but but let, let me finish my thought here. Workflow had its guardrails. It knew how to do certain things really well, and it gave you guardrails on how to do that. Mm-hmm. And anytime you need to do something that did not fall within that, then you could go to code or, in this case, to a flow. But when they said that everything now is a flow, they've increased the complexity of their system. 
meaning that every triggering action, even if it just needs to send a simple email, now has to has to run this flow versus this very simple architected system that was not only easier for admins to understand to do the quick and easy you, and less error prone. You might work flow. Workflows. Yeah. <clears throat> and it was easier for the system to process because they knew the inputs and outputs. They could optimize for that. But you can't optimize flows. Mm. I, I know people I know a lot of smart people would push back on that statement. From from a systemic standpoint, they're gonna they're gonna optimize the flows. It depends on what you mean by that, I guess. I mean that's that's like saying you're gonna Salesforce is gonna take my class that I wrote and process it and optimize it. Oh this no, is, no. I mean that the, it's not the, gonna the developer can optimize their their own flows. Yes, the developers can yeah. optimize their own stuff. But yeah. what I'm saying is workflow with guardrails strictly all these standard inputs and outputs, they have an opportunity because they know the inputs and outputs to change that, to modify it, to optimize it however many times they want to make that process, offload it somewhere else. They could do all kinds of things with that very strict syntax, that contract. Mm-hmm. But when you open it up to be this universal thing, you lose that flexibility. You lose that option. Yeah. You have to send it through the same tunnel of of everything else that, yeah. that code goes through. Yeah, 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 the surface area of all of that of the right. of flow is much more and you have people complex. building things in flows that all they want to do is yeah. send a damn email well and this gets back to you know we talk about right tool for the job but i feel like i mean still for a lot of things like workflow is the right tool for the job it's the simplest thing that could possibly work and turns out it it just it fits that certain role very well mm-hmm. you can it very testable via Apex. If you're doing Apex, you want to test your triggers and make sure that, you know, you're, and you should, anytime you change your workflow, you should, you should run all your Apex tests and see if you broke anything. Um, mm-hmm. So that's good to have a good test suite that has very good semantic assertions and everything. Um, and I feel like workflow is still the right tool for the job for a lot of this stuff, but we're, people are being, you know, ushered to flow for all of the things. Well, they, they took away flows. I mean, workflows. So yeah, you can't create new ones, right? No. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of a bummer because I, you know, again. Well, and and I use that as an example, but I think in general it seems to happen over and over with Salesforce. They advance these technologies. They create these, uh, so to speak, platforms within them that are highly flexible, highly dynamic, highly advanced, mm-hmm. and they're great. But then you use them for everything. You know, it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna use my Maserati to take my kids to school five minutes away every day. I mean, that's just. It's a waste. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I would enjoy that. <laughs> if I had a Maserati. <laughs> no, the kids probably enjoy it. I mean, what do you, that's, isn't that what you do with a Maserati? You take your kids to school, right? I guess. So all the other parents see so your now Maserati. So now everyone has to be able to afford a Maserati to take them to school because there's no other cars anymore. Right. You have to buy them the $500,000 Maserati to get your kids five minutes yeah. to school in five minutes. And even if you, your backyard backs up to the school, you cannot just have your kid walk out the back nope. gate and go to school. Nope, they got to get the Maserati. Okay. Start that sucker you up. Got, you got to sit in You got to sit in line, the drop-off line, <laughs> yeah. which is a disaster nowadays. Yeah. Oh, this is such a perfect analogy. <laughs> <laughs> you got to queue up and everything. Uh, did we, can we get a title out of that, John? <laughs> I don't know. I said a lot of words. Yeah. Anyway. All right, well... What else do we want to cover? Because I'm getting, I'm feeling the, I'm feeling the need to rap. Um, well, speaking of rap, <laughs> when I saw this headline from Motley Fool, I just, I, I, I heard, uh, Mama, Mama said, "Knock you out," by LL Cool J in my head. Okay. Uh, the title is "Don't Call It a Comeback." Salesforce stock is just getting started. Oh, wow. 
Um, I, I actually made fun of this article when I read the headline, but it, it actually, it's not a bad article and it's not a bad concept because Salesforce has been in growth mode. You know, they've been all about pumping their stock. They haven't been focusing on profitability. Well, that's changing. That's and that's changing. changing. Yes. And for the first time, you know, the stock should start to settle into something that's that's more stable, hopefully. If they can survive this year and everything else that's going on, it should stabilize as they start to focus on profits versus the growth mode. Um, in other words, Salesforce and most tech companies have extended their their um, their growth plans. Where growth plans used to be a shorter cycle and then start, you know, where they were taking a ton of investments and got into profitability, meaning mm-hmm. we, we're made it. We're, we're stable now. We're a company now. Right. Um, they've just expanded that, expanded that growth mode and just spent, spent, spent. And investors were like, yeah, we're spending. We're growing big. We're, well, we're, we're gambling on this. Well, and until recently, I mean, Salesforce has maintained like 20, 25% of your growth rates. So, as long as you are still growing at, at those type of rates, you can still be a growth company, you know, 24 years into this thing. But I mean, where, I, I at think, some point you hit that natural, um, like peak expansion. It's like, I'm thinking of like peak oil, you know, that theory of peak oil. It's like, you kind of hit, at some point you start hitting, you start, get, the closer you get to achieving, like to capturing all of your TAM, mm-hmm. uh, total addressable market, so that is. You know, know, I wouldn't. Then um, the harder those, the harder it becomes to. It's like it's like unit test coverage. Like that's why I was saying, you know, the, the goal of uh, you shouldn't be one hundred percent unit test coverage because those last several percent are just they're stupid to try to get coverage for because they they're things that can't fail, and and they become so they're so hard to achieve. Because you have to either do so much like refactoring of code or like mocking all kinds of dumb shit out that you shouldn't really be doing. Like it's super expensive and it doesn't get you anything. And that's kind of like also with growth. I mean, at some point you're going to hit your your growth is going to plateau some or it's going to achieve a more sustainable and kind of natural moderate growth level. And instead of fighting that and just spending, spending, spending to keep that growth rate at, you know, 25 percent or whatever. You just transition. We've talked about this for 10 years, John. We've talked about this ago. when they would hit this inflection point, and they will transition profit. That's exactly what they're doing. It's been extremely painful, I think, for the organization because I think it was – I think it was – I think their hand was forced by things happening in the financial and other markets. Oh, they would have never transitioned. Not yet. If they, Not if, yet. If, if they weren't forced to by this, this environment, they would have never done it. They um, would have stayed mm. in growth mode through, per, through forever. Well, your investors are always going to make you – no, the investors were complacent in this. So they were ca- they were cashing in on the hype. That's because but invest, on the virtual funny money that was in, their stock. Investing is all about buying future streams of cash, and in the when, hopes and, that they'll be profitable and stable. Right. This is a huge gamble, and they 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 basically took that gamble and said three out of ten, or like they took a one out of uh, two out of three gamble and turned it into a, a one out of a thousand gamble. Hmm. I'm not sure I follow that, but <laughs> <laughs> they should have transitioned a long time ago. I mean, and they should have they should have stabilized themselves. They should have made better choices in terms of acquisitions. They should have made better choices in terms of things. But I obviously I can't argue. I'm not a billionaire like Benioff. And that's the thing. The thing is, I mean, I, I mean, I think you can definitely make some. I think people can make some, you know, some well thought arguments 
Monday morning quarterback. No, exactly. But the problem is we can't test those. We don't know. Right. If we would have done John's plan, what would the stock price be today? Would it be worse? Would it be better? I don't know. But so it's interesting, interesting theories to talk about, you know. Um, but, you know, as a public company, though, it, it kind of at the, at the end of it all, like you, you have to do things that your investors are generally happy with. And, and they'll tell you through one form or another by buying and selling your stock or by buying enough of your stock to start that they can start to exert control, um, whatever, you know, they'll, they'll let you know what they need you to do. Yeah. And if you're not, if you're going to 25%, you can literally get away with anything. But when you're not doing that anymore, then it, you know, then we, we might have to make changes and, um, I mean, that's, that's true from a, and I get what you're saying and that's very true, but the reality is that it, it impacts people. Oh, you know, of course. They they laid off a ton of people, and the tech industry in general laid off a ton of people. Still doing it. And it affected yeah. partners. It affected yeah. everybody in this ecosystem. Yeah. Did it affect Benioff? No. He went off and, and got away from his device and sat on some island somewhere for a week and said, oh, I need I need time to recover. To detox. Yeah. To detox. Well. I mean, come on. I know. Well, I mean, so he, you know, to be fair, he owned, he completely owns that mistake of them overhiring. And you have to fix it. You know, you have to, um, it's just, it's just unfortunate because, you know, people pay the price, but mm-hmm. he, he all totally owned it. And, you know, I, I think the g- consensus is that, you know, Salesforce is their, their package is generous that they've offered people. So, I mean, but at some point it became, you got to do something like we had to, you get again. Their hand has been forced, you know, by the market, by things out of their control. I mean, honestly, the interest rates. Again, something else I've been talking about for ten years now. Mm-hmm. This and this is also what is causing banks to fail. And bank, I mean, we have. I mean, even the, even some of the big banks. Like I was just looking at the other day, Bank of America has. They are underwater in so many of their assets that if they were required to mark to market, we would have a we'd have a nationwide collapse of the banking system. And it's just, it's, you know, this, I'm telling you, this the zero interest rate thing we've had for so long has created just systemic problems and it's affecting companies. It's affecting the, the monetary system, the banking system, and we have not seen the end of it. No, I mean, it's, it's all these decisions to delay responsibility across the board on, in many facets. It's weird because companies were forced into this because again, it was, became table stakes. Like you have to take advantage of the environment. Because mm-hmm. all your competitors are. And if you want to stay on an even playing field, everyone has to do these things. They just turn out to be unhealthy things that, again, some people were, you know, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about people who, who can actually articulate and understand this stuff way better than I, than I do. Have been warning about this for a very long time that this was coming. And on top of all, we, we, you know, we've increased our money supply by in the past few years by, or yeah, probably I'd say past, um, I don't know, maybe longer than that, a decade, decade-ish, by like a factor of 10. Like, how do you inc- – <laughs> Yeah. But somehow, we kept inflation buried for that whole time, which is insane. But that's the other big problem, which is driving a lot of this, the interest yeah. rates and things. But anyway, I mean, I don't want to talk too much about that because I'll start showing my ignorance real fast. <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, I'm I mean, far more ignorant than you are. I guess, but I, I st- I guess I, circling back, though, you know, I mean – yeah, Salesforce is they're going to keep turning the screws on profitability and we're going to we're going to see that manifest itself in different ways, but it's just that's the stage of their of their life cycle they're in right now. And it's 
when we knew this day was coming. We've known it. It's just now, well, I hope, now it's here. I hope focusing on profitability means focusing on the platform. Well, you know? one thing we didn't talk about, and I, maybe this maybe this development of this predates it, but you know, um, the new nonprofit cloud product and education cloud product, and mm-hmm. some of the ancillary products in that space have been announced over the past couple of days, and those, that's a huge deal too. Yeah, and you can—I mean, we don't know—you can you can theorize about why they're doing that because it's. Um, you know, their existing solutions in those spaces are bolt-ons, you know, managed packages for the most part. Mm-hmm. And the new nonprofit cloud and education cloud are uh, core products. Core, thank you. Um, built, built on core. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the pricing looks, at least at first blush, more expensive. Um, of course, it totally depends on just your situation, discounts you get because a lot of these nonprofits and or you know education you know, they get they get all kinds of discounts and stuff but um you know is that a part of is was this a part of the hey we got to make more money program i, I don't know i have it's hard to say but it's hard it, you know it, again it where salesforce is in their life cycle now it's it's hard to look at any of their actions and and you know try to it, it's and that, it's hard to not speculate about why they may be doing some of these things because right. there's the reasons given, you know, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of there's a lot of completely great things about, you know, moving some of these products to core. Absolutely. I've always thought they should be in core, but I get I get the idea of trying to prove out an industry solution, get it to a point where, you know, getting it past that V1 product and then building your V2 product that, that you have a better understanding of what what is actually needed and putting that on core. Absolutely. I mean, finding like product market fit, learning, learning your lessons before it goes on core and right. baked in forever. Yeah. You know, it's very hard to, ch- I mean, don't get me wrong. It's hard to change, you know, manage packages too, but it's, you know, once you go into core, it's probably even harder to, harder to change. Yeah. But I mean, it being on core means you, you should be able to get some first class solutions. You Absolutely. Know, that, yep. that don't have some of the issues that you would have with a managed package, mm-hmm. just in terms of the way they're implemented. Yep, you know, and the way you execute them, and the way you consume oh, them, and the I, way you set them up. I wonder if they re. I wonder if they implemented TDTM on platform. I don't think so. No. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, so what is? I've just I'm having you know. Well, I wonder what the education cloud and nonprofit cloud are do. I wonder what they are doing for trigger management now, if they're not using man, a managed package for it. Or, there would be no reason for TDTM. Well, one of the big reasons was customers being able to add their own triggers into the mix and orchestrate those. So yeah. there has to be something exposed to the to the org, right? No, not when it's core. If when it's core, mm. any automation they have to run, they can run within their own context, and it doesn't impact the execution of customer mm. pla- maybe, uh, customer maybe. products. Okay. The problem with the package is that even though it was certified and it had its own limits, you we wanted to be able to inject in between, and that was just something a decision that that team made. And allowing us to inject things in between those processes. And I feel like that need has will not change when they go on. Platform. Right, but that's not a. The only way for them to solve that in core is to orchestrate automation, orchestrate triggering, orchestrate flows. Have a interface that allows you to orchestrate that stuff. Yeah, maybe so. Like a callback of some sort. Right. Or yeah. Otherwise, you're just back into the triggering mechanism, and you have to manage that somehow. Now, could you go out and install TDTM as a separate package and use that? Yeah, but for the core stuff. They're going to run that within their own context on their servers and whatever needs to happen. Yeah. And it'll be more more performant for it. Yeah. So at, to me, the moving the industry products that, that 
are well established and known into core shows an investment back into core. And I think as they go into profitability, I want to see more investment into core, not acquisitions and bolt-ons and integrations, but core platform yeah. stuff. No, I agree. And it, 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 I think it speaks a lot to the commitment to mm-hmm. nonprofit and education. Yeah. Cause it's a ground up, ground up rebuild. Not to say it's not a, I think it's completely burden separate. on the <laughs> ecosystem. It's, it's a, certainly a big change, big change. Um, and, and, you know, the important thing will be for Salesforce to, you know, not only reassure, but really mm-hmm. stick to the commitment of ongoing enhancement and maintenance of the existing products. Because there's, you know, it looks like, especially if you have a, a significant org, you know, migration to the new product is is not even a goal right now. I, I mm-hmm. think it's that's not the message that's being sent. It's not really a goal. Like, you're fine where you are. You've got a good. You've got a good product. You've got a good platform. You've made good investments in it. You know, your horizon so far is just sticking on those products. Now, it might make sense at some point to start looking at a migration. Um, maybe when you know down the road, when after the stuff is released and it's we we know more about it, and it's more tested, and we kind of we we know we've developed some best practices around <laughs> around migration. <laughs> um, you know, maybe then it makes it actually makes sense, but there's no rush and there's no one's going to lose their existing investments. Right. And, and, you know, so it's key will be Salesforce sticking to that, to that commitment. Yeah. And, and basically extending it to a point where people want, they, they can, they can, they can do so and feel good about it. I mean, meaning that they, it's a, it's a an investment that is worth it, I guess, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it produces more value than what it costs. Right. You yeah. Know, it's yeah. You, where you get an ROI on that, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah, and I just don't think we know enough yet about when that's going to be, and it's going to be different for every organization when mm-hmm. that when that you hit that kind of tipping point. Yeah, and there's also a roadmap with with both those products that um, spans throughout the next two years. So feature parity right now is going to be somewhat of an issue, but um, I think it just depends on where you're at in in your implementation. Yeah, no, I totally agree. All right, John. Well, I think we've we've actually covered everything that was on my list. I'd completely forgot about those the new uh nonprofit and ed clouds, but Well, and to that I said okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Wait, I didn't have the button ready. <laughs> um no, anyway, so uh, John got our label printer working, so just we can have a quick meeting my here. Machine. Yeah, it worked on your machine just fine. So, we either print we're either going to print labels from John's computer or he's going to get it working on mine. But we'll print stickers and get a, a, a backed up batch of labels or uh, stickers out. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'll put the ad out there. We still have lots of stickers. I gave away a lot. I actually was successful. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it, in did you, did you vandalize any places? I did not. I mean, if I, you know, if I did, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't admit to it on this show. <laughs> um, but we still have, we have lots of stickers. So, dear listener, if you would like good day, sir, stickers for your laptop or your uh, local watering hole or some bathroom somewhere, whatever, wherever you back of a stop. No, I can't say that. Um, then <laughs> you just email us info at good com and just stay, say stickers in the subject and let us know how many you want and where you would like them shipped to. We can ship pretty much anywhere. As far as I know. Um, yeah, stickers. Yeah. Gave me a lot of stickers. Um, how was the happy hour? It was cold. <laughs> So we had it at this place, and I know I didn't realize I, this is the coldest San Francisco. I've been to San Francisco, I don't know how many, 50 times probably. 
this is the coldest it's ever been for me. I think never got above 50. Oh, wow. And it was rainy and windy. It was just miserable. And the place you went to was mostly outdoors, outdoors right? Yeah. yeah so I think we, we've been there. I think I've been there with you. We did go there once yeah. before. And I don't have very many memories of it, which may indicate how much I've drank there. But there, There's a pole there with our sticker on it somewhere. Unless there, it yeah. got covered up. Yeah. But yeah. I think there is. Yeah, we've been there before. I, I'd rem- I thought it was a, that, that place. And then when we got there and I walked in. I yeah, like, there's oh, no indoor. Sick. The indoor is basically you go in and order your beer and then you're outside. Yes. I mean, there are like three tables in there and there's a pool table with like yeah. a bench around it's it. It's like but, basically yeah. nothing. Um, so we hung out outside for a couple of hours. Um, so thank you for everyone who's putting up with that. But but it was good. I mean, there was probably, I don't know, at the peak, 20 different people that showed up for it. So It's respectable. Yeah. It was a quorum for sure. It's tough to get there. That's a weird spot. It is. It's kind of down, I guess it's kind of near Mission. I don't know if it's considered part of Mission District or not, but we, we actually walked down there because we could not get, we couldn't get a cab. Mm. We could not get an Uber. We couldn't get a Lyft. They were, the Ubers and Lyft kept doing this thing where they would accept our request and then five to 10 minutes later cancel us. Oh, wow. Over and over and over. And someone said there was a protest going on because they do, as they do that, the demand builds up and it, it automatically kicks things into Search pricing. Oh, so they cancel it to get get the search pricing. Yeah. I don't know if that's what was happening, but we we tried for probably 30 minutes to get a taxi or a Lyft or an Uber. Couldn't get anything. So we just decided to walk. It was a, I think, 1.7 mile walk. Wasn't too bad, though. I mean, part of... I mean, the cold, but... The cold was a little annoying. Uh, And, you know, Soma is pretty sketchy these days. Um, Yeah. But once once you got past Soma and kind of like... There's that kind of like this kind of gentrified neighborhood that you walk through. It's really cute and nice, probably million dollar apartments or whatever. But um, yeah, no, it was fine. And then we, we managed to get a ride back, but that's cool. Yep. So anyway, other than that, just uh, tell your friends, tell your enemies, share us on the socials. We, uh, it's funny because I, we were talking earlier, like um, anytime we go a long time without recording, like we release one and like all of a sudden we'll just get like a huge number of downloads because I think it people, People really do get backed up. And once they've gotten through their queue of good day, sir, it's like if we haven't recorded in a while, then it's not like all of a sudden everyone listens at once or I don't know. People should, that's the other thing. People should subscribe. I'm, I'm amazed that people don't subscribe to podcasts. There are so many people who just like go to the website or they, they don't have it de- subscribed. They don't have it subscribed. It's just like listed in their podcast player. So they'll just, when they want to listen to an episode, they'll just manually go to the, mm-hmm. or go to the, maybe they have it bookmarked or something, but they go to it in their podcast app and they just like, click listen, you know, like, real time. But, but you can you can tell, and by the way, the download numbers sprinkle out that like the long tail that there's just so many people who yeah. don't subscribe. It's so weird. I'm probably guilty of that with YouTube. There's a lot of things I watch, but I don't subscribe. But the, well, but YouTube has a good algorithm that it it knows. It's you don't have to subscribe because YouTube knows the kind of stuff you like. Well, I I should because I tend to go in and erase my history quite often. Oh, I don't. Do and that. so that resets the algorithm. Yeah. So um, it, it's good if I have it subscribed because then I then I can start getting those feeds. Um, so yeah i saw something the other day it's like you should you should um have you should reset your youtube watching like every day or something like that yeah i don't know i've never reset mine i don't do it every day but i i do on on every so often we'll reset it and i guess if i had for some reason i'll watch something and then it starts feeding me things and i'm like i don't want to know about this i watched that once or my kids was on here watching peppa pig yeah and all Uh of a sudden i'm getting peppa pig recommendations yeah yeah (laughs) that's probably been a while since i did that but no, Peppa Pig has made made a resurgence for what? some reason. Yes, like the kids talk about Peppa Pig. There's Peppa Pig that. There's a theme park coming out with a Peppa Pig uh, theme. I don't remember which one it was, hmm. but Weird. yeah, it's a thing. I don't know why, but it's it's a thing. 
That makes sense because I've been hearing Peppa Pig more recently. Yeah. I'm like, why am I hearing about this so much? Yeah. yeah. All right, John. Well, that's all I got. We'll try to record and I don't know, at some point, not too long from now, I guess. We're, we've kind of been on that monthly cadence. Yeah, it's just the way life is sometimes, though. It is, I know. Well, and to that, I say good day, sir. You get nothing! You lose! Good day, sir!